My name is Laura Lemp, and the name of this workshop is Reflecting Jesus in... What is the name of my workshop? <laughs> impossible Circumstances. <laughs> See, I can't even remember the name. It's impossible. <laughs> We're supposed to start it. I think it's set on the schedule 2.15, but it's now 1.59, and I'm feeling the need to just um, go ahead. You okay with that? Yes. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> I have a good friend. Her name is Nini, and what she always says about me is, Laura, you always have questions, questions, questions. And I do. I'm the question lady. And I'm going to start off with some questions. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Do you believe that he can move your mountain? Yes. Do you believe that he can make your impossible and make it possible. Good. So do I. All of us in this room, we've witnessed a miracle. All of, it, all of us in this room who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's a miracle in itself. So we've experienced that miracle. And most of us in this room have seen a moved mountain, whether it's in our own life or someone else's life or we've experienced the impossible made possible. When we do, when we see it, when we hear it, when we experience it, this is what we do. We raise our hands, we say, God bless, amen, and hallelujah. We praise the Lord for the good thing that he has done. We praise the Lord for his answered prayer just the way we wanted him to. And then what we, what we do is we go on and we post it, we put it on Facebook, we Instagram, we Twitter, we let everyone know the good thing that the Lord has done. But what happens, what happens when the impossible is not made possible? What if he doesn't fix it? What if he doesn't remove it? What if he doesn't heal it? What if he doesn't make it right the way that you want it made right? What if he doesn't restore it? What if we don't understand it? We don't understand the why of it. When it's unfair. Or simply when his answer is no. How do we, re how do we then, in those circumstances, reflect Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father. And you sent us a good, good Son. Lord, when I look out, I see all these women, and each one is in or has had an impossible circumstance. Father, we give them to you, to the one who can do something about it, whether it's in it or in us. So, Father, speak to us today. Father, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. Father, speak to me, because you have something for these women. We want you to get the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Reflect. What does that mean? It means to represent something or someone in a faithful and appropriate manner. To give evidence of something. To think deeply or carefully about something. How do we reflect Jesus when the circumstances in our lives shake us to the very core? Well, let's start with what did Jesus look like?
because we're supposed to imitate that. We're supposed to reflect that. So what does he look like? He looked like the Father. He reflected the Father. Genesis 1 tells us we were created in his image. The Father gave us the Son, which is the perfect example for us to reflect. But what does it take to look like him, to reflect him rather than us, our own flesh? Because we're good at doing that. Jesus as man experienced everything we do or have or we will. Pain, suffering, stress, grief. How did he cope? He spent much time with his father. And we need to spend time with Jesus. When we spend time with him, when we spend time with Jesus, we begin to look like him. We begin to act like him. We begin to think and speak like him. And I think Connie touched upon many of those, those things. John 5, 19 through 20 tells us, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Miracles await us. They might not look like what we expected, desired, or asked for. However, just maybe we too will be truly astonished. There's a story of a little boy, and he was out in the fields with his father. The father pointed to this certain rock out in the field and told his son to go and pick it up. And the little boy, he could not. It was a huge, huge rock. And his dad said, try harder, just try harder. Do anything you can to pick up this rock. And this went back, back and forth several times. The father's saying this, and, he, and the little boy saying, I can't. And the father says, try harder. And the little boy says, I can't. And, and finally, the little boy says, Daddy, I have tried everything. And I just can't pick up that rock. And the dad says, you haven't tried everything yet. And the little boy goes on to say, Daddy, yes, I have. Oh, Daddy, I have. I've tried everything. And the daddy turned and said to him, you haven't asked me to help you. And often we, too, are like that little boy. And our impossible sufferings are just like that huge rock. And how do, how do we, how do we pick up the rock of, say, a lifelong chronic illness one with unending pain, it could be lupus, it could be fibromyalgia, it could be any other autoimmune disease, it could be MS, it could be ALS. Or how do you pick up the rock of a life-limiting disease or a terminal one, cancer? What about brain injuries or disabilities, whether they're physical, mental, or emotional? How do you pick up a, the rock of a, a failed marriage, a marriage that's going to need a miracle to survive, or a prodigal that it's going to take a miracle for them to return, or the death of a spouse, or the death of a child through illness, or an accident, 
or violence? How do we pick those things up? How do we reflect Jesus amid these things? What enables us to keep trusting in God's faithfulness when our lives are hit with suffering, when our lives are filled with pain, confusion, mountains, and unanswered questions? Jesus is God's answer. And we need to look to him and ask him for help, like the little boy with the rock, like Jesus with the Father. And sometimes, I hate to say this, but sometimes we are the mountains that need to be moved. I mean, let's be honest. We're the actual mountain that needs to be moved. Our mind, our heart, our soul and spirit need to, meet, to be moved to a place where we can say what the Apostle Paul said. Paul, who was one of the most faith-filled people on earth. He goes, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God speaks to Paul, and he tells him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God did respond to Paul, and God will respond to you. And maybe it's not by healing, Maybe it's not by curing or removing. But God used Paul's suffering to draw him closer than ever before. And he can use yours to draw you closer to him, closer than ever before. But our first response is generally just as Paul was. We plead, take this external thing from me. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want it. Take it, take it, take it, you know. We ask him to take the external thing, but really what, what needs help, it's the internal thing. I have another question. I have lots of questions. Do you appreciate or do you measure your relationship with the Lord in only the good times, the fat times, the times of abundance, the times that are easy, or the times of blessing? Or do you find the greater value in all times, the hard times, the impossible times? I pray for myself and for you as well that what, how we would respond would be just as Job did. And he lost everything. Job responded, he fell on the ground and he worshipped and said, naked I came out of my mother, mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, there are, are there's so many things that we will never know. There's so many things we will never understand this side of heaven. Why some people are healed and some aren't. Why some people are spared tragedies and su suffering and some aren't. But we're going to dig into a few examples because the Bible provides us examples of people that followed God 
reflected Jesus in their impossible mountains here on earth. The first one we're going to look at is it's in the book of Mark. And, the, and it says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from, from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And at once Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and and you ask us, who touched you? What, are you crazy? But Jesus looked around to her, to see her who had done this thing. And, you know, he knew who touched him. He knew. But I think he required that she acknowledge her need of him. So the woman in fear and trembling, knowing what had happened, came and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now this woman's suffering, it wasn't only physical. It was emotional. She had emotional suffering. She had spiritual deprivation because she was a social outcast. According to Levitical law, wherever she sat, whatever she touched would become unclean. She was forbidden to participate in the, in the faith community. She couldn't um, participate in, in worship. She was a woman at the end of herself. And at times, we too are women at the end of ourselves, or we need to be. She was a woman without resources. She was a woman broken. But referring back to verse 26, it tells us she had spent all that she had and was no better. And sometimes we spend all that we have. We spend our own strength. We spend our own might, our own will, our time. And we, like this woman, are no better. We do not acknowledge who he is. We don't acknowledge our need of him, but she did. This woman, through her suffering, shows us to be a woman of of great faith. In John 15, Jesus tells us that, apart from me, you can do nothing. This was a woman who grew to really know that, and she went to the someone who could do something. It drove her to Christ. And where are we driving? Are we driving to him? Are we driving to him? Or maybe, and I'm going to just put it out there because I've done this so many times, are we putting our foot on the pedal and we're driving to our fear, our anger, our anxiety, our loneliness, and you can tack on whatever word that fits for you. In order to touch his robe, she needed to get past her roadblocks. 
which were the people, the people in the crowd. She needed to get past the fear of being recognized because she was the outcast. She didn't have any support. She didn't have any friends. She had nothing. And we, too, need to get past our roadblocks. And our roadblocks are more like our sorrow, our grief, our hurt, our fear, our agony. Sometimes it's our helplessness. Sometimes it's our hopelessness. We may feel forgotten. We may feel forsaken. And this sounds like such a downer, but I'm going to let you know. When you're in that place, we all need our moment and moments. And I think you know what I'm talking about. We need that moment to crawl and hide in the bed. We need, to be, we need those moments just to let ourselves be washed with our devastation and wonder if those moments will ever pass if those, in, those moments in our impossible journey, will it ever get better? Those moments where we, can't, we feel like we can't even take a, take a deep breath. Have your moment. It's okay. I think we heap guilt on ourselves when we are faced with the impossible, like I'm supposed to be superwoman. Don't deny your loss, whether it's health, or a person, or a relationship, whatever your impossible is. And yes, maybe sometimes we take a bit too long. Maybe our moment is a little bit too long. But what's important is that we don't stay there. And we don't walk away from Jesus. We must ask for help and exercise our faith in him that, in order that we can get through it, that we can get through our, our roadblock. I'll let you know this. He is bigger, and in he is greater than any one of your losses, than any one of them. This woman, she was unconcerned with the crowd. She didn't allow her issue. She didn't allow her impossible situation to keep her isolated. She moved beyond her weakness. She went searching for a healing she walked into a crowd to find Jesus. When you feel lost, when you feel like you don't know which way to go, follow him. It's really simple. Just follow him. Do you have another question? <laughs> Do you have enough faith to run, to walk, to crawl, if that's what it's going to take? to get into his presence? Will you keep pressing forward to get to Jesus? In the darkest of our days, in the darkest of our situations, his light shines brightest. If you step into his presence, if you do, you will find healing. I love that he went on to say to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, it was not the touching of the garment that healed her. It was her faith that made her whole. It is your faith that can stop your bleeding. He cannot bring a loved one back. 
He might not bring a physical cure. He may not change your situation. But he can heal us with his comfort. He can heal us with his strength. And he can heal us with his purpose. When I was doing the study, I was thinking, you know, in a crowd that size, I would think that many men and women would have brushed against Jesus. But what struck out to me is only this woman touched him. I'm going to tell you, touch him. Touch him so that he can heal you. It is possible to have strong faith in tough times. Our situations may be hopeless to the outcomes that we desire, but we're not helpless. Let your impossible meet God and watch what he will do in you. We sometimes think that if we just have the faith of a mustard seed, he will give us what we're asking for. No, he will give us according to his will what is best because you see faith is more than just belief it's obedience will you follow him in the in your impossible you see Jesus also did all things by faith he was obedient unto death David starts off Psalm 22 with my God my God why have you forsaken me you know, this psalm starts out with the most anguished, anguished cry in history, an, ang- ang- an agonized prayer of, from David, of Jesus, and at times from us as well. David's cry within the psalm is that his enemies were surrounding him, his body was in dreadful pain, and he feels abandoned. He doesn't feel that God sees him or hears him. And David expresses what we feel in our impossibles. We ask, do you care? Do you see me? We ask, why doesn't, why doesn't he answer me? But to have truth faith, we must take God at his word. Second Corinthians 4.18 says, reads, we look to things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Why is it so difficult for us to face the things that crush us. They're temporary. We trust him with the eternal things. We trust him with our salvation. We trust him with redemption. But we don't trust him with this temporary, impossible situation. Yet, too, David never loses faith. His suffering, his pain leads him to prayer. Jesus also cried out the words in Psalm 22.1, the words which were, they're also recorded in Matthew 27 and, and Mark 15 as well. My God, my God. And just that cry alone, David acknowledges that God is his God. Jesus acknowledges that God is his God. They acknowledge this by saying this, that God hears even if it appears that he is far off. In the midst of their agony, they declare their faith. Can you say, my God, my God? Can you claim him? 
Will you call out to him? And they go on to ask why. It's okay to ask why. David's why became a prayer. The real and inescapable problems, the impossible, should lead us to prayer. Have you stopped going to him in prayer? Have you stopped communicating with him? Maybe you're angry over your impossible circumstances. You don't like your mountain. But if you stop communicating with him, how do you expect to hear from him? First, First Thessalonians 5.16 tells us to pray always. First Timothy 2.8 tells us to pray everywhere. Jesus did. Prayer should also lead us to remembering his promises, which should lead us to remembrance of what he's done for us in the past. To remember this promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. We may not know the why of our present situation, but there are things we do know. We know that he is unchangeable. He's unshakable. He's unstoppable. He is a God of He is a God of miracles. He is mighty, he is strong, he is faithful, and he is true. He is loving and good and righteous and holy. He is just and he watches over us. He is omnipotent omniscient. He is eternal. He is giving. He is compassionate. He is the light in our darkness. He is with us and his promises are true. He gives us peace. He gives us strength. He is our refuge, our hope, and our strong tower. He has your back. He's got our side. He's got our front. He is for us and he will lead us every step along that way of your impossible situation and up that impossible mountain. I've said this before about him. He's radical. I love that about him. He went where no one else wanted to go, to be with people no one else wanted to be with, and Jesus' commitment to his calling was radical. He died for us, and we too must realize we must acknowledge the importance of our faithfulness, our obedience to God's plan through us and through our impossibles. Another question. Who in this room has asked that their cup of suffering be relieved or removed? I'm going to raise my hand because I have. Well, good. We're in good company because so did Jesus. I mean, he, he asked. Jesus' example is summed up in his reaction to God's plan that he die on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, um, as he enters in, he tells Peter, James, and John, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And you know what? It's okay. We too need to tell him our souls are crushed with grief. Tell him. Be honest. Don't make it pretty. <laughs> you want to throw yourself on the floor? Go ahead. If you want to throw yourself on the floor right now, go ahead. You want to kick? You want to cry? You want to scream? You have the opportunity right now. Have your moment. 
Jesus cried out his emotions. He cried out his despair. He cried out his anguish. But he did not allow those emotions to dictate his actions. Because see what he does next. He goes further into the garden. He falls to the ground in prayer. And he asks his father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you, what you will. Jesus did ask the father to remove the cup. And if Jesus can ask, so can we. I think we're pretty good at asking for the removal. It's the second part that we have a little bit of difficulty with. It's the nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God wants us to bring our prayers to him. Jesus was asking the Father, is there another way to accomplish your will? And sometimes there is not. Do we accept his answer, or does he have to pry our hands off of it? You see, the father said no to Jesus. And I think about what if he had said, oh, okay, yeah, sure. There would have been no third day he rose. And then where would that have left us? We don't always understand the why. But that no answer that he gives you, it may be the very answer that will bring about the greatest good and the greatest gift in your life. Romans 8.28 says this. You all know it. <laughs> and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I'm going to be really real here. I am not fond of this scripture. I think about when, when do we ever hear this scripture? When do our well-intentioned family and friends quote this scripture to us? When there's a problem. When bad things happen. When painful things happen. Things that bewilder us. Things that make no earthly sense to us. And we, we go, how is this impossible? It's supposed to work something good for me. But I recently experienced it. On my mission trip to Uganda last year, I, um, I slipped, silly accident, I slipped and I dislocated my ankle and I broke it in several places. Right, Jessica? <laughs> and really, it truly was a silly accident and it, and it didn't make any sense. In fact, my attitude was a bit like, I didn't deserve this. You see, I had spent several months in training, meeting with the team. You know, I was working, and I was praying, and I was learning silly dances. <laughs> I was busy about doing my father's work. So I didn't deserve this. And really, wasn't it enough that I traveled over 9,000 miles to teach on spiritual warfare. I mean, did I have to experience it? I mean, really, come on. Was that fair? I don't think so. 
And I got back, and, and I was speaking to Pastor Dennis and, and Candace, and, um, you know, we couldn't find the purpose in this, in this silly accident. Couldn't find the good in it. But while I was there, um, they were able to put my ankle back into its correct anatomical location, which that was a good thing. And then I flew home and, and had to have surgery. It, but in the States, when you have surgery, um, you have to have a chest x-ray. The day after my surgery, my primary doctor calls me and informs me that my chest x-ray showed fluid. And I needed to see my oncologist right away. The following morning, my oncologist called me. He didn't even give me any break at all. And he wanted me to come in um, within the next day or two. You know, I just got out of surgery, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. This ankle thing, that was quite enough to deal with. You see, I had already been through two seasons of cancer. I had uh, neck cancer and breast cancer. And, you know, they were difficult seasons, but um, my faith grew so much during those seasons. And, I, you know, I was pretty strong. I, I kept it together for the most part. You know, I did the radiation, I did the chemo, and in fact, I didn't even miss one day of work during my breast cancer treatments. I mean, I was tough. <laughs> and, and there was a, a big part of me, a huge part of me. I really wanted to reflect Christ, no matter the outcome. I wanted him to get the glory, or most of me did. But there was also this part of me that said, okay, I can handle this. I can get through this. I can do this. I can be strong. There's a lot of eyes in there, aren't there? And then I was given my third diagnosis. So in November, I was given a diagnosis of metatastic breast cancer. And it has spread to my bones and my lungs. And this time, it's not curable. I wailed at the wall of Jesus. That's the best way I can explain it. I tucked my prayers into him. I told him, Jesus, it's unfair. And he told me, I know. And it wasn't that he was agreeing with me when he said, I know. He was telling me, I know, I understand how you feel. And it was in those moments that I came to know him even deeper and wider and stronger. It showed me he does hear, he does listen. I told him, I can't do this again. It's too much. I have nothing left. I'm overcome with sadness, and I'm too weak. And he said, Laura, I know, but I want your weakness. He knew that if I could give him that, I would be able to experience his power and his nearness and his strength. He didn't expect me to handle this. He just wanted me to hand it over to him. When I surrendered my weakness, that is when I heard him say, now I can do something. 
No, he didn't say cure. He said, I am with you. You see, previously, I thought I had to be strong. I had to keep it together. If I didn't, then I was a weak Christian. But this is what I've learned through this journey. I am a weak woman. And I want you to say that for yourself as well. We are weak women, but we are strong Christians because we have a mighty Savior. You tell yourself that every day. You own your weakness. You own your weakness because you're strong Christians with a mighty Savior. He reminded me of what he had told Paul. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Psalm 18.6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I, I did. To my God, I cried for help. From the temple, he heard my voice, and my cry reached his ears. And I'm telling you, you cry, it will reach his ears. You might feel alone. You might feel forsaken, but he is there. You have to do your part, though. You have to do, you have to cry out. And sometimes words are not needed. Our cries, our groanings to him, those are prayers as well. You know, I love what Toby Mack said, and I read it recently, and he said, even if all you have left is a whisper, keep praying. Ladies, if all you have left is a whisper, keep praying. I have come to learn this, that suffering requires the greatest of faith and trust. But when lived in the reflection of Christ, we will experience his greatest power and his greatest compassion. It allows us to change our perspective on who he is. We have problems understanding his power because we're, we're looking at it from an earthly view. We need to look at our impossibles through his eyes, not ours. You see, we look at the pain. We see the pain. We feel the pain, and this is what he sees. He sees his plan. He doesn't see the pain. He sees his plan through the pain. We want to celebrate the miracles, and he wants to celebrate, and he wants us to celebrate the transformation in our lives produced by the lack of a miracle. Who would you be right now? Who would I be right now without impossible, without that impossible in my life, without that impossible in your life? We would not be what he has planned for you. We would not be what he's called us to be, and we would not be what he has purposed us to be. And yes, I, I, don't, I don't want to be Debbie Downer over here, but I'm going to be real. Suffering's not fun. <laughs> he is concerned for us, and he sees us, and he loves us. But he's more concerned with his eternal perspective. With his eternal perspective. I suspect that when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see our, our impossibles as our most serious problems. From his perspective, thank you, our impossibles, 
Our mountains are not a barrier to godly living, and sometimes we make it. Because I have this, because I'm going through this, because I experience this, that gives me the right to act a fool. It doesn't. He sees our spiritual needs because he has our eternal good in view. He is looking at our heart issues. Don't waste your suffering. Is it consuming you because you're not allowing him to comfort you? And getting back to Romans 8.28, the working of the good thing, you know, the one I don't like. (laughs) It's not our job to figure it out. It's his. But I know this. God is working for your good. He is working for my good, and I will stand on that. Had I not broken my ankle, I would not have had a chest x-ray. And because I did, they've caught my cancer much earlier than if I had not had that accident. And because they did, I have a longer expected time of life. Praise the Lord. So my impossible changed my perspective. I'm sorry, it only took me three times. It only took me to my third cancer to, you know, get it. I'm slow. (laughs) You know, I don't know. We don't know. I was going to say I don't know, but we don't know the day or the hour or he is coming. But what I desire and what I pray that you desire is to make every day count for him. Does that mean I don't have my moments? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I'm honest, just, they just wash over me. And I'm flooded with such deep sadness. But he has never failed to show up. And he will never fail to show up for you. He has never failed to tell me, Laura, I know. And Laura, I am with you. He has used my cancer to minister to so many women. And he will use your impossible to minister if you let him. Know that your impossible is not senseless. It has a purpose. His purpose is for his glory to be revealed through you. People who suffer, they want to be ministered by people who suffer. And his glory can be revealed through you. So how do we reflect Jesus? Again, observe the relationship Jesus had with his father. The one he had with his father is one we need with him. You know, one of dependence, one of trust and faith and submission and honor. When we seek God through his word and prayer, what do we find? We find Jesus. Ask. When you are in need, ask. Jesus did. God knows. Remember Gethsemane. Call out like Peter did. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Faith, when you believe, God works. Jesus did. You know, Jesus had this unwavering faith. Remember him when he's in, in the storm and when he, he, when he, Jesus woke to meet the storm, he was in perfect peace, absolute perfect peace. 
in this storm. There, he had no fear in deed, in word, or look. There was no fear in his heart. He rested in the quiet, not as the master of the earth and sea and sky and all of that, because he had already laid that power down. But he said in John 5.30, I can of my own self do nothing, and we of our own selves can do nothing, but we can do everything through him. Give it to him. And pray. When you speak, he listens. Pray. Jesus did. Mark 1.35 says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out, and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. Mark 6 says he went up on a mountainside to pray. And in Luke 6, 16, it says, so he himself often withdrew himself into the wilderness to pray. I think we need more quiet times. And we're also to give him glory. Praise him. Jesus did. You know, we don't praise him for the impossibles, but we can praise him in the impossibles. John 14, 31 says, I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And John 17, 25 and 26 says, The world has not known you. Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And John 10.30 says, I and the Father are one, and we need to be one with Jesus. In word, in deed, in all things, in our impossible things. Our trust must be completely in our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons nor things present, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing, and all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not let the impossible isolate you or separate you. He loves you. He loves you. He is with you. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't recognize it. I'm going to pray, but I want to invite the worship, there are two women. We, I want to close in a uh, worship song. We're going to pass out the words in case you want to participate in the worship. This um, worship song has truly ministered to me. But while they're doing that, I'm going to pray. Lord, help us. Help us to completely not only accept your answers, your decisions in the impossibles, but, but, they may, but may they cause us to reflect you even brighter in them. 
Help us to believe as never before what you say over and over and over again in your word. I am with you. And Lord, help us to sing the words of this song. It is well with my soul, even if whispered. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that suffering, our suffering, does not have the last word. Glory does. Father, be with these women. Fill them. Teach them to climb up that mountain of impossibles because they will get over it or they will get through it with you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.